Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. What's up, bosses? It is episode 68 of the Presentation Boss Podcast, and today we're doing another guest expert interview. And let me tell you a little bit about how I came to know Colin Kinner. I was at an event last year and there was quite a few people there who were interested in podcasts and podcasting and I was chatting to a friend from a long time ago who's also, I found out, a listener of the podcast Mm. and he said to me, Thomas, you need to get this Colin Kinner guy onto your show. He deals a lot with startup pitches and clear messaging in persuasion and I thought that would be very interesting. So I've had him on our list for a while. He's from Brisbane here as well and we finally got him on the show. Yeah, it was a really interesting conversation. I think I genuinely picked up some new ideas and techniques. He's a very direct person. And I commented afterwards that I asked him a question and he just said, no. (laughs) He did explain himself, to be fair. He did explain. But it was really quite nice that he just went, nope, that's not the correct understanding and continued with his understanding. And I really appreciate that as a very direct person myself. (laughs) But I think that this episode is really valuable for anyone who's trying to persuade, trying to sell or pitch themselves in their role, whether that's in your own business. Yeah, I agree. Look, Kate, why don't we hear a little bit more about Colin and then play the interview? All right. Colin Kinner is the founder and CEO of Startup OnRamp, a training and mentoring program for startup founders. Over the last 15 years, he's worked with over 300 startup teams, helping them to launch and grow globally scalable companies. He's a regular speaker on the topic of high-impact entrepreneurship and has advised corporates and governments on entrepreneurship and innovation programs. Colin is also an experienced educator. He has trained hundreds of emerging entrepreneurs and is a strong believer that delivering convincing presentations is a skill anyone can learn. In his work with startups, Colin focuses on creating compelling pitches, ensuring that founders can communicate their company's value proposition to customers, investors, employees, and the media. So welcome, Colin, to the Presentation Boss podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So, Colin, we've just heard your official bio, but can you tell us who is Colin when he's not at work? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm a keen trail runner, a distance runner. So I'm, despite lockdown, I'm still trying to do a whole lot of uh, long distance events, trying to get up to sort of 50, 60 Ks a week. So that's, that's me. Whoa. That, does that consume a fair bit of time? If you run really slowly. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair point. It, no, it does. It does. Um, but early mornings and late nights are, are my friend. Yeah. Cool. So Colin, why don't you tell us about your work now? Who do you help and how did you get involved in that line of work? Yeah, so I guess I've been involved in working with high growth companies for uh, at least the last 15 years. Um, I started out working in the university sector, helping people take the outcomes of research and turning that into spin-out companies. And a few of them actually did really well. Uh, We had one that raised $26 million in venture capital funding. Um, before failing uh, miserably because it couldn't raise any more. So some of these companies are pretty capital intensive. Um, But more recently, I've been working with startup founders and entrepreneurs building high growth companies, mostly in the digital space, um, but also a few physical product companies. And through Startup OnRamp, which is a training and mentoring program that I started a few years back, uh, really trying to impart kind of basic skills to entrepreneurs. Because, you know, if if you're going to set up a dentistry practice, 
you probably want to be pretty sure that, that some of the team had studied dentistry, right? Uh, <laughs> but we still see a lot of people who decide, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I'm going to go and build a company, but they've never really studied the kind of nuts and bolts of how to build companies. Mm. So that's kind of where I focus my time and effort is helping people who want to be successful entrepreneurs and, and, and giving them some of those kind of core skill sets. Oh, yeah. that's cool. So how, how, did you, how did you land in, in this line of work of helping mm. universities and then, and then startups? How did you get there? Yeah, I mean, I guess going back sort of 10 plus years ago, there really wasn't a startup ecosystem in Australia. So if you had any amount of interest in high growth companies, there, there was heaps of opportunity. Um, today, there's obviously lots and lots of startup activity all around the world, but Australia has become a, a, a real hotspot for startups. But I think, you know, going back 10 years ago, there were very few people who even understood that a startup was a different thing to a small business. And so I think if you look at, you know, the, the kind of economy that we want for Australia going forward, I think it really is um, lacking those high growth companies. So, so for me, I think there's a, a real drive um, and, and there's a bunch of people around the country who've got a similar kind of philosophical view that we, we need to get a whole lot better at creating companies that can become globally significant rather than just domestic businesses. Right. Okay. I find that interesting. You um, really delineate between the small business and the um, startup. Is that, is that what you mean, that global versus domestic, or do you see it even more delineated than that? Yeah, I mean, it's a continuum. So there's no such thing as, as a kind of, you know, you're on one side or, or the other side of, of a black line. Yeah. Um, but certainly, you know, I think it's particularly relevant given COVID, right? So there's, there's a lot of businesses that are obviously struggling very significantly because of COVID. Um, and I think coming out the other side of it, um, there will be a big swing in consumer behavior in terms of how and where they purchase, obviously a lot more online. And, and I think with a lot less regard to where the supplier is and the same for businesses purchasing as well. So I think the businesses that we need going forward are, are really going to have to be global from day one, even if they start off small and even if they're, you know, in a, in a, in a fairly small niche um, because we are a whole lot more than, than, before we are competing globally for customers. Yeah, okay, right. So we got Colin on the show because he's recommended because uh, we were told that he knows all about business pitches with this startup and that sort of thing. So why don't we, why don't we talk about that a little bit, Colin? And in, in the words and experience of you, what is a pitch? Sure. So for me, a pitch is, is really telling a story. And it doesn't matter whether it's coming from a founder of a startup or someone who's in a sales role in a corporate um, or in any other kind of organization, everyone has to pitch all the time. Um, you know, you pitch when you're in a job interview, you pitch when you're trying to close a sale, um, you pitch when you're trying to recruit people, you know, you're pitching your company as, a, as an opportunity. So for me, pitching is telling a story and it's also, it's starting a conversation. So I do a lot of work with people who are delivering kind of short, punchy pitches of, let's say four or five minutes. And they've all watched Shark Tank and they think, oh, right, I've got a pitch so that at the end of it, someone will commit to writing me a check for a million bucks. That's not reality, of course. So a pitch really is just getting enough across that, that your audience says, that's really interesting. I'd like to continue this conversation and learn some more. Right. I think in my head, I definitely had that Shark Tank kind of view of it um, for the purpose of gaining investors. Um, but that's interesting. I, I like that starting the conversation. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, obviously a pitch can be to, to get investors to, to take an interest in investing in your company. But a lot of people make this mistake of saying, right, I've got to get the outcome from this, this presentation is I've got to get someone across the line, get them to commit, whether it's investing or, or buying your product or whatever it might be. Um, 
and that actually sets you up for failure because what, what people tend to do is they go, all right, I've got a limited amount of time and I've only got this person's attention for, for, you know, everyone's got a finite attention span. And what they try and do is they say, right, I've got to get this person to make a decision by the end of the next three minutes. And then they try and cram in all of the information and all of the kind of key selling points in that short period of time. And it ends up being a mess. Whereas I think if you view it as the start of a conversation, you say, well, it's, it's, it's even the kind of breadcrumbs thing that says, well, if I can just deliver a couple of little nuggets of information that lead the, the audience to go, oh, well, like you mentioned something about that. You didn't really tell me the full story. Can you tell me some more? Because that was really interesting. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to think about it as the start of a conversation. And was it breadcrumbs? All these little ideas you just drop in what feels like a really high level view of perhaps our company does blank, blank and blank. Yeah. So I guess there's a big, a lot of effort goes into, a lot of time goes into making those decisions about what it is that people do mention in those few minutes, as opposed to what, and as well, what they don't mention. Yeah, um, that's actually the, the really hard bit, I think, yeah. for most people who are preparing presentations of any sort, is knowing what to leave out, because you, you're not your audience. And so you've got this, this interesting kind of mental challenge where in your head, you know everything about your company and your product because it's, it's your thing whereas your audience knows relatively little. And it's actually not trivial to figure out what things they most need to find out in your, in your pitch or in your presentation so that they can get kind of the key points. Um, one thing I try and get people to do is to practice their pitch on a test audience. If it's a really important one, like obviously you can't do it with every presentation you ever give, but if you've got a, a golden opportunity to get up in front of you know, some, some key decision makers and make a, a really important presentation, Get some people that are preferably that don't live in the same house as, as you and that you don't work with every day of the week who don't know the content of your presentation, deliver it to them, and then ask them to tell you back what your business does and what the key points were. And it's really interesting. Most people find that what they hear back was not really what they thought they'd said. Mm. Yeah, right. Venture capital funds actually do this internally. So I, so I um, spent a while running an early stage venture capital fund that invested in, in high growth companies. And one of the things that we did was every time we had a pitch from an entrepreneur looking for money, we would then have whoever was, was the, the kind of uh, key person who'd received that pitch would then attempt to pitch it back to the, to the rest of the team. And so if I was the, the person who'd kind of received the pitch, I'd go, right, I, I've met with the founder and they've explained to me the opportunity. I'll do my best at explaining why we should think this is an interesting company. And if you can't do it, then, then uh, uh, you know, one of two things, either you haven't understood it well enough mm. or the person who presented it didn't do a good enough job of, of giving you the information that you needed to then be able to relay that. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Get the person to pitch it, I mean, either back to you or to somebody else and it, making sure that it sounds like the right information, that right message has been absorbed by your eyes, the audience. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. Well, work. So, you know, it, pitching or, or presenting generally, I don't think are skills that most people are, are born with. Mm. You know, we're not, we tend to be not natural presenters and, and convincers. So I think it is a, a learned skill. And, and, you know, I see a lot of people that go, oh, yeah, I have, you know, practiced my presentation. I spent 10 minutes, you know, this morning while I was having my cup of coffee, just going over it. Well, we'll know, like if, you know, if it's a really important presentation, so my rule of thumb is that you should do one hour of practice for every minute of your presentation. Yeah. If it's, if it's important. Mm. And by practice, you, what do you mean by that? 
Well, practice can be for different people. It's different things. So for some people, it's actually going through their notes and and just making sure that they really have a, a good um, feel for the flow of the presentation. They know the key points they want to get across and they can do it in, in any order. So, so a good friend of mine, um, David Ryan, who's a, a successful entrepreneur, um, works with a lot of startup founders on their pitches. And, and he always says to them, get your key points and write each one on a single sheet of paper. And so the key point might be, you know, our team have spent, you know, 10 years working in this industry and we understand it really, really well. Or it might be, we've got a, our first hundred customers. And so that demonstrates that, you know, that, that there's a really good opportunity, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you write your key points on individual pieces of paper. You give them to someone and then you say, right, shuffle the pieces of paper and then hold one up. And I've got to talk to that key point. So you might, you know, you, you'll have a flow that you're going to um, have in your presentation, but they might hold up, you know, key point number seven. And it says, uh, right, tell us about your cash flow forecast. And you go, right. So my cash flow forecast is, and you've got to be able to jump straight into it. So it's a really good exercise to kind of get you to, to think on your feet. Yeah, I really like that. It really helps to keep those little boundaries and get you used to speaking within boundaries. Yeah. And it also helps people who are inclined to write out a script. You know, those people yep. who, who, you know, they're not confident that they'll remember the key points and that they can string the, the kind of points together. So they write it out. Um, and for some people that's okay, but it's not the way you want to deliver it. Obviously you want, you don't, you don't want it to sound like it. So you're reading a script. Um, so it can really help those folks to say, well, okay, if you if you have taken the time to write out, you know, your whole presentation word for word, that's fine. But now let's mix it up so that you can then jump to the key points and it helps them to, to get past the kind of scripted feel. Yeah. Cause I know sometimes with the script um, and I'm not necessarily against scripts, but if you get lost somewhere, then you're lost, you're gone. Mm. You need to be able to pick it up from any particular place and not be reliant on the sentence that you've said before or the paragraph. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Oh, that's a really cool idea. I am liking yeah. that a lot. The, the other thing on just on the question of practice, another mm-hmm. thing that people often find useful is just to bounce their presentation off different audiences. So we're talking before about, you know, getting yeah. someone to kind of try and repitch what you've told them. Um, another thing that could be useful is just to get different groups of people, maybe from different backgrounds to listen to your presentation and, and not say anything at all, but just at the end, like give you some notes. Say, can you write down like two or three points that observations, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be a criticism or something that you want me to do differently. Just write down what comes into your mind and just collect them and go, all right. So these are the things that when I've finished my presentation, people have in their minds. Interesting. Yep. 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 Cause that would be, that would be quite telling if they have say, whether they do or don't have written down your key message or the, the takeaway that you would kind of like them to have, that could be yeah. really useful data to have as a presenter. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people write down, you know, scratches left ear all the time. <laughs> yeah. Again, use, useful though, right? Yeah. 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 So do you recommend a lookalike audience or a completely separate audience? I think what I mean by that is, if you're pitching to investors, do you then practice in front of people who have that mindset of investors or do you hmm. try someone completely different? Yeah, I think the more similar they are, probably the better. Um, there is a, there's a widely held view that, that if you are pitching investors, that you should actually create a, a wish list of who you would most like to invest in your company and then start at the bottom of the list and pitch them first. You know, the ones that you think, well, I really, I really don't want this investor um, for the simple reason that because they're investors, they're going to give you some hopefully useful, um, insightful feedback. And if you totally screw it up on the first one or two or three of those presentations, yeah. you'll get the feedback and it'll be pretty brutal, but you'll, you'll improve pretty rapidly. And then by the time you get somewhere close to the top of your list, your presentation is going to be pretty well refined. 
And yeah. that's how you create a lookalike audience. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you manufacture one. Yeah, brilliant. Cool. So I imagine you see a heap of pictures over and over. What do you see the difference between an average one and an awesome one? What makes you go, wow, this is it? Yeah, look, I think some of the best pictures that I've seen have elements of incredulity. And again, I don't think this this is any different from a startup pitch to investors um, through to a sales pitch to a customer. It's it's kind of, it's drawing out the kind of the why does this company need to exist question. And I've seen it, I'll give you an example. So I've seen this with a company that was um, building an app uh, to help uh, scrub nurses in operating theatres better prepare for the for the procedure. And that sounds really dry and boring and you think, oh, really? But then the founder actually was, had previously been a scrub nurse in, in hospitals. And she opened her presentation by saying, I know that in 72% of operations, there is at least, at least one missing item. And in more than 15% of cases, this leads to a serious complication and can even lead to the death of the patient. And the oh, audience goes, oh, really? Yeah, so, I can feel that right now. Like, yeah. I want to know what this, what this thing is. Okay. Yeah, so it sets up the problem really nicely. And then they say, yeah. we're going to solve that problem by building an app that makes it really simple for nurses to confirm before the operation starts that every item that's needed is there. And it's a simple mm-hmm. checklist and then it's signed off by the surgeon. And, you know, we're going to save lives. That really does answer the question, why does this company need to exist? Yeah, yeah. But I think, again, outside of startups, I see the same thing in lots of different presentations where people start off describing what they do or what their product does or what their company does or the services they provide. And that's all fine. It's information that needs to be in their presentation. But there's nothing up front in a lot of cases that says, here's the, you know, here's the really compelling reason why we, we need to do this. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting to me that you start there with that really compelling fact as well. You're really getting the audience's attention in these. I mean, if you've only got a couple of minutes, you've got to start with that attention and persuade from there, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think the first 30 seconds matters a lot. And I'm not, not a big fan of getting people to script a presentation of any sort um, unless it's really necessary. But I, I, do, I generally do recommend that people script the first 30 seconds. So that might be the first two sentences. Yeah. Um, and it's simply because it means that, that you can make it really punchy. You can take a, a lot of care about exactly what you say, craft it so that the, the message is really, really clear. Um, and it also helps if people are nervous in, in giving presentations, it helps them to get past that because they, if you learn your first kind of two sentences so well that you could you know, recite them underwater with a brick in your mouth, <laughs> then, then your nerves go away to a large extent because you, you yeah. know that you can get that first bit out and then they can that gets the momentum going then they go, oh yeah, I know what I'm going to say after that. All good. Yeah, for sure. I think we often hear as well compared to the introduction is having the conclusion really tight because I'm sure you've heard a pitch where they get to the end of their information. They're like, uh, and yeah, that's me done. <laughs> like, do you, do you do any work with especially the end of a pitch? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think one of the attributes of a really good pitch and, and presentations more, more um, generally is that they have structure. So if you're delivering a five minute presentation, then the structure has to be pretty tight. If it's a 20 minute or a 30 minute presentation, then, then you've got a bit more room to move things around. But I think for a short pitch, there's a lot of value in saying, before you start, you know, here's what we're gonna do. In the time we've got, I'm gonna tell you about the problem we're solving and why it's a really acute problem that, that really matters. I'm gonna tell you about why nobody else has been able to solve it really compellingly. I'm then gonna explain what we're doing. So how we're gonna solve it and why you know why that's going to be successful and tell you about the team and, and why we're really well placed to go and tackle this problem 
I'm going to tell you about our early customers, and then I'm going to tell you about our plans for growth. And at the end, I'm going to wrap it up. And so, you know, the, the really good presentations go through that structure and it helps your audience. It's a bit like, um, you know, if you were to go to a restaurant, not that we go to many restaurants these days, but you go to a restaurant, if there's a smorgasbord, you don't go up to the smorgasbord and, and f fill your plate with a bit of everything. You don't put the ice cream and the prawns and the salad all on the plate and bring it back to the table. You know, you do it in, in small chunks, right? So the presentation, I think, is the same for your audience. You're saying, I'm not going to try and throw everything at you in some jumbled order and you're just going to have to mentally make sense of it. I'm going to give you an introduction and then I'm going to set up the problem and why it matters. And then I'm going to explain the problem, uh, explain the solution. And then I'm going to talk to you about our, our plans for growth. And then if you can wrap it up, obviously that, that helps as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about creating that at the start of a discussion rather than compelling some sort of concrete decision, right? Yeah, totally. Actually, there's a, a company um, that I worked with for a while that was delivering an investor presentation and they, they did something really clever. You know, we we're talking before about breadcrumbs. They actually took it to another level. Um, they had their, their presentation and on one of their PowerPoint slides, they had a bullet point that said million dollar contract with a multinational. He didn't mention it at all in his presentation when he delivered it. And it was guaranteed to be the first question every time, right? So the, when there's audience questions, someone puts their hand up and says, oh, did I see something about a million dollar contract? And he'd say, actually, you did. Let me tell you about it. And it's a, it's a free kick, right? So it's, it's, you know, always have one or two of those um, things up your sleeve. That is clever because it comes from the audience. They feel involved then. Yeah, yeah. And you're guaranteed that you've got the next 60 seconds to talk about something that you really want to talk about. That is cool. And you, you've said the magic word, Colin, because I, like, I do like talking about PowerPoint. Is that, is that something that you, I guess, expect to see or encourage people to have as part of this process is to have visuals? Oh, yeah. I think everyone should have at least 300 PowerPoint slides with, you know, 10-point yes. font on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it depends on the type of presentation. I'm not a fan of, of having lots of slides for any presentation. There are some where you really have to have, you know, some... Um, and I think, you know, investor pitches are one example where I think it's much easier if you've got some some slides to, to support what you're saying. I mean, I know you've talked about this with with many other guests before, so we probably don't need to rehash that, you know, less is more. And, um, you know, I always believe that your slides, if you're using them, should be, you know, one one point on each slide, one piece of information or one graphic or one nugget, um, no more. Uh, we do a lot of work with entrepreneurs who are pitching to large audiences, you know, and, and the biggest one uh, was actually in the VMAX cinema in George Street in Sydney, which has got a capacity of about 500 people. Um, so we had an event in there where startups were pitching to investors and, and a whole bunch of others. And so what we said to them was, get your slides on the screen and then walk up to the back row of the cinema and stand in the back row and click through each of your slides and tell me, can you read every word on every slide? And if you're in the back row and you can't read something on your slide, then you need to take it out because yeah. your audience won't be able to read it. Either take it out or make it bigger or do something. Yeah. I think I have a new life goal. Get some slides I've designed onto it, like an IMAX or a VMAX cinema <laughs> screen. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll tell you what, every pixel's on display when, when you're in that kind of setting. So, you know, yeah. if you've, if you've picked a really uh, grainy image or, or your logo is not quite aligned properly, you spot it straight away. Yeah. yeah. And you'd have text 12 feet high. <laughs> It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Do you notice a difference in pictures depending on where people are from or like their industry or their culture or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think I've noticed a big difference between the US and Australia. Um, okay. so, so I've run a couple of Silicon Valley missions for, for Aussie uh, entrepreneurs where we've taken them to Silicon Valley for 10 days at a time to basically just soak up the startup culture there. 
and we've we've gone to some pitching events and it's really noticeable how as a generalization australians are are not very good at at making declarative statements so there's this concept in in um, pitching where in an ideal world you you'll tell your audience something that you want them to know and then you'll support it with some facts or some data mm-hmm. so you might say for example our company has a mission of becoming a category leader in um, you know, whatever it is, let's say um, aircraft booking systems. And, and so that's best practice. And in the US, people tend to do that. They say, we are going to build a billion dollar company that's going to dominate aircraft booking systems as a category. Whereas in Australia, what we'll tend to see people do is say, oh, we're kind of working in the aircraft booking system space and it's a pretty big market, but we've got some pretty big competitors and, but we've got a smart team and, you know, we think we're going to do okay. And, you know, if we're really, really successful, then, you know, it's a good opportunity. And what they're hoping that their audience will do is infer that here's a company that could be a category leader in aircraft booking systems. Yep. They never say it. Right? So, so I think, you know, culturally, that's one thing that, that we do well to, to kind of look at, at um, not just the U.S., also you know, places like Israel are, are very good at saying, you know, here is our point. We're going to make the point very clearly and, and definitively as a declarative statement. You know, I'm declaring this is the truth, but then obviously to support it so that your audience can kind of go, oh, yeah, I, I see why that could be true. So then on the flip side of that, if you've got an Australian audience, are they better at making that inference and kind of making that conclusion themselves that they're going to be this category leader? I actually don't think they are. Yeah, right. And that's, and that's, the, and that's the challenge. You know, we're accustomed to hearing pitches where people don't make declarative statements. And mm. sometimes some people will infer and they'll go, oh, yeah, okay, I can see how this could be a really good company. Yep. But I think that's a really risky strategy, personally, you know, to, to kind of leave that as something that you're you're crossing your fingers that your audience will come to that view. I think you're much better off telling them, you know, yeah. not, not in a, um, in a bombastic way that says, you know, we're going to be a billion dollar company by this time next year. But I think it really helps to say, well, look, this is the vision we have for the company or whatever your point is, you know, get it across really clearly and say, this is the point. And then I'm going to support it with some facts and some information. And is that the thing because people feel like, you know, if I give this five minute pitch, these people that I'm speaking to, they're going to be as invested as me. They're going to be as emotionally attached to all this. And they're going to believe just from my passion that we're going to be this, you know, category leader, billion dollar company. Mm. Do you think that that's what people think? Is that how they get to that stage? Uh, no, I, I think, okay. I think passion, I mean, passion comes across, right? So, so I think passion is really important in, in any kind of presentation, particularly when your yeah. end goal is to convince your audience of something. Mm. But it can be really tricky if, if somebody relies so much on their passion and they don't provide data right, and, and, and information. Yeah. So particularly with investors or anyone who's accustomed to being on the receiving end of, of a pitch. And so most VCs, a venture capital fund manager will see literally hundreds of pitches a year. They probably will, will get you know, thousands of things emailed to them from companies saying, hey, we want you to invest in us. So they're pretty accustomed to you know their, their bs detector is is well tuned and so they receive a presentation whether it's delivered verbally or or they're reading it and they're always critiquing what they're reading and going right what do i really think of this and if it's so, so they want to see that the founders are passionate of course but at the same time if if all of the kind of meat of the presentation is bluster and mm. you know enthusiasm but without any real substance then most people will see through that pretty quickly yeah yeah, no, fair enough. I'm just trying to understand why this culture of not making these um, declarative statements are is happening. I think it's related to the whole tall poppy thing. You know, we don't like to, to get up and say, 
we're going to be incredibly successful and here's how we're going to do it. Mm. We're not very comfortable culturally with that. And I think that's a, that's a real challenge. I think in my mind, I'm thinking in terms of the audience, you don't want to make your audience do any more work to sort of listen to your message. Like as a presenter, put that work in and say, this is the message. These are, you know, the, the facts and then, you know, have some supporting information there rather than giving them the information and letting them infer and having to do all that mental work themselves. It makes sense to just do that work yourself as the presenter and make sure they walk away with the right message. Right. Yeah, totally. And there's a bit of neuroscience behind this. I know we were talking about this uh, before there's some neuroscience behind the, the process of having doubtful thoughts. Um, so I've got a friend who's a neuroscientist and he's done some research in um, a part of the brain called the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. And it's, it's the part of the brain that, that does doubt, right? So if you were to put someone in, a, in an MRI and watch which part of the brain fires when that person hears a lie, it's that part of the brain. So this is your BS detector. This is yeah, it's, a B, it's, it's basically your brain's BS detector. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, so, but the reason that it's really important to understand this is that the BS detector, so the, this part of the brain, the, the ventromedial yeah. prefrontal cortex, when it's activated, it stays activated for about five minutes. And so what happens is if in your presentation, if early on you say something that your audience doesn't quite believe, either consciously or unconsciously, um, and it fires that part of their brain, then what happens is everything else you say for about the next five minutes is filtered through a lens of doubt. And that's a real problem because if you say things that, that otherwise would have been received perfectly well, once that part of the brain is, is activated, then your audience will be more inclined to doubt things that you say and, and basically, you know, a lot of it's unconscious. So they're not actually saying to themselves, I really don't think this person's telling the truth. It's just a lot harder for them to accept what you're saying on face value. So it's a bit like, you know, the fight or flight response. So if someone hears a loud noise and it startles them, then any other noises they hear for a while will startle them more than, than usual. So it's exactly the same principle. It kind of keeps you on edge a little bit. But again, you know, back to what we're saying about um, testing out your presentation, um, yeah. you can actually test for activation of this part of the brain with a test audience. So again, if it's an important enough presentation, I think it actually helps people a lot to deliver their presentation and say to their, their kind of dummy audience, if at any point you feel yourself even a little bit doubting what I'm saying, raise your hand. Right. Right. So you can deliver your presentation and obviously different people will, will have this part of their brain triggered at different times and in different ways, but you'll start to get a trend emerge. Once you've kind of delivered it to, you know, three or four groups of people, if, if everyone sort of goes, yeah, I didn't really buy that. You know? <laughs> yep, and it's, yep. it's not 100% reliable because it's only picking up when they consciously can say, look, I know that my brain is doubting that, but it's still a pretty good indicator. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess then, you know, you obviously don't want to trigger, you know, in your opening sentence, you don't want to trigger this in people. Otherwise, your five minutes are, you know, basically waste on this audience. Yeah. You want to start with something that, that grabs attention. I think often the word for, the, for that sentence is something that's either startling or controversial. Like how do we, how do you find that line between saying something to your audience that's controversial, but not triggering their BS detector? Yeah, I, I think, but you know, having it grounded in fact really helps. So if, for example, you're delivering an investor presentation and you start off by saying, we just signed our thousandth customer or we just, you know, clicked over a million dollars in revenues, First thing I do is put a chart on the screen with your actual revenue numbers against it yep. um, or some other, you know, facts that, that your audience can look at and go, right, there's the revenues. Good. You gotcha. know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lead with a, with a statement like, 
um, you know, we aspire to being a billion dollar company by this time next year, because, you know, maybe you will, but I don't know about you, but most times when I hear that, I go, yeah, you probably won't. Right. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the pitch and, and I I think there's a lot of skills we can see here that apply to other types of speaking, whether it's persuasive speaking or sales, even in corporate world. But I guess, is there sort of one technique, template, concept that you'd recommend to somebody putting together maybe their first or their next persuasive presentation? Yeah, I think what I always try and get people to do is to start off by, it's it's the onion approach. So start off with the inside of the onion and say, what are the kind of one or two really key points that I want to get across in this presentation? Write them down, like in, in short, you know, bullet point format. Yeah. And then go to the next layer of the onion and say, right, what are the kind of second level points that I want to get across? And then do a third level. And so you, you don't get carried away. You don't want a hundred points to deliver in a, in a short presentation. Um, but make sure that, that you're structuring your presentation so that you have every opportunity in the world to get your key couple of points across. Because like in a five-minute presentation, an audience can remember maybe three things, right? So if you want to make sure that the three things they remember are the three things that, that are most useful to you. So I think it helps a lot to structure it and not to start writing a presentation. I've seen a lot of people go wrong uh, well, let's say, I think it, it, it makes it a lot harder for them if they say, right, I'm going to start at the top of, you know, I'm going to write a Word document, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to write my script for my presentation from um, start to finish. Unless you're an incredibly good writer, that, that usually goes very badly. So I think you start off with bullet points, key points, and, and then kind of second order points behind that, and then flesh it out. So, and look at each point and say, right, so for this one, let's say it's, we're talking about our, our revenues. How do I support it? How do I make sure that the BS detector isn't fired in the audience? What, what information can I provide to support that? Great. Okay. Now let's drop that in. And then it's kind of like building a presentation in, in, um, in chunks. I think that generally helps people a lot rather than trying to just do it linearly. Mm, I can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I like the analogy of the onion too, about um, that mm. visual kind of representation of how to add layers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so a question we ask every guest that we ever have, Colin, and that is, what is a book or resource that's influenced the way that you present? Uh, for me, I'd say that the main one would be a book called Running Lean by Ash Moria. Um, Ash is a thought leader on the topic of, of the lean startup methodology, uh, which is basically the process by which you test your assumptions before you, you build products and invest a lot of time and money. Um, it's widely adopted now in the corporate world, uh, not widely enough, but we're certainly seeing a lot of corporates starting to use the, the lean methodology. And the thing that Ash talks about a lot in his book is testing your assumptions around the value proposition that your company is delivering to customers and, and validating that they resonate with customers before you build your product and certainly before you try and sell it to people. Um, so in terms of building a pitch, it's, it's kind of road testing some of those assumptions and getting feedback from people who are representative of your target customer or investor or whoever it is you're, you're trying to convince. Yeah, right. Excellent. It's um, a very different resource that we normally get recommended. I like that it's, it's different. It's really very specific to what you do. I love that. And then, of course, Colin, um, final question. Where can people find you? Oh, yeah. So we're Startup OnRamp. Um, they'll find us on the website, startuponramp.com, um, on LinkedIn, Twitter, all, all the usual socials. Um, and we're, we're pretty active on socials. So we try, to, we try to make sure that we um, put out some useful content. 
Yeah, cool. And there's a link to a bunch of those resources down in the show notes if you want to find a little bit more about Colin. But that's the end of our conversation. So thank you so much, Colin, for being on the Presentation Boss podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. If you know someone that you'd like to hear from on this show or think that you have something of value to share, email us at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week. And I appreciate it. I ask a question and you were just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Which is nice because often people will be like, um, yeah, kind of. And then, you know, softly get to the no. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I I genuinely appreciate that. (laughs) Um, we didn't talk about this, but I got a friend, um, who grew up in Israel and these, you know, the Israelis are are notoriously direct. Um, and he always says to people that if you say something and, and you actually, have that thought in your mind that says, hang on, I should have said totally the opposite. Like you, you should, you should get past that. And so his, his approach is always to say, you know, is, if he's in a meeting with 20 other people and he's thinking this is total rubbish, he, he compels himself to say, hang on, that's total rubbish. This is why, you know, if you don't like it, that's okay. Whereas again, it's one of those cultural things in Australia. We tend to sit in meetings and if we don't agree with it, we tend to sit quietly. And then it's only when everyone's walking out of the meeting room that you say to the other person you're sitting next to, wasn't that rubbish? Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah.